We can do better than that. Let's clap. Let's thank them for putting together. It's not just the video that they put together, but it's them volunteering and investing in the couples that are in our church and in their relationships. And I love the fact that they've taken their journey and God has worked in them, through them, and it's translating into some good work that is happening in other people's lives as well. So Alpha Marriage is a great course. Uh, I want to recommend it to you. And uh, if you want to spruce up your marriage and revitalize it um, and uh, even tweak some, some of the little issues that might be besetting that marriage, then this is the course for you. So, so God bless you as you give thought to, to that. Pastor Sam, thanks for doing the church lifetime and for reminding everyone the importance of stewardship as we leave 2023 and we move into 2024. I appreciate that. And Pastor Darius, uh, thank you for leading us in worship. And Hina, thank you for leading us in worship. We're blessed. We're blessed to be in this place right now at this time and to actually hear from God, both through worship and through our fellowship together, but also through God's holy word. And I look forward to sharing that with you in just a minute. We're also gonna be entering into communion. Uh, that's sort of gonna be the conclusion of my message, us entering into communion together. So I hope that you have the com communion elements with you. It's been a great year, 2023. It's been not easy. It's been challenging in so many regards, but it's been a great year. And I think I'm leaving 2023 with my faith strong. And uh, that hasn't always been the case within the year in which we've experienced. There are times when life presents in such a way that we doubt. And that's really what the substance of today's message is all about. I wanna talk to you about uh, believing and I wanna talk to you about uh, trusting in God even, even when life is really difficult. And so I'm gonna be talking to you about that today. And this is called the Believing Anyway Sermon. The Believing Anyway Sermon. So let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I, I come before you, and I do ask that you would bless our time together. And I ask, Father, that you would speak deeply into our hearts, and that, Father, you would place within us a certainty that does not come from circumstances, but it comes from your Holy Spirit. I pray that that certainty would grow within us, and that we would live with great faith and great trust in you as we enter this new year. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. So this morning we're gonna be talking about what it looks like to overcome doubt. To overcome doubt. And this is a message that I'm confident is relevant to every single person in this room because in a group this size, there are certainly many of us who have gone through seasons of doubt. Our world has been turned upside down over the past year. There are times in our lives when events come into our lives and turn our world upside down sort of in a micro fashion, but also in a macro fashion. We're seeing some things happening in the world that can leave us with a certain amount of uncertainty and even doubt. But there may be things happening in your own life personally that are leaving you wondering what in the world is going on, and is God at the helm of what is 
your life. And some of you may right now have a family member, a friend, a close coworker who may be going through a season of questioning and doubt. And God wants you to be a messenger to them this week. So hopefully you'll take the message and some notes here and you'll share that with some in your life who may be going through some doubtful times at this moment. The fact is, is that doubting comes natural to every single one of us. We're born questioners. Children, when they begin to learn to talk, the first words that we hear from their mouth or the first word often is the word, why? 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 And just because you become a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that your questions just evaporate and go away. In fact, oftentimes there are more and more questions as you begin to settle who God is and what he's doing in the universe. In fact, the Bible is filled with men and women who are highly devoted to him, passionate followers of him, and who are regularly finding themselves in situations of questioning and doubting the very God that they serve. One of those people in the Bible was named Asaph. And Asaph wrote some of the chapters in the book of Psalms. Oftentimes you'll hear me refer to the Psalms and I'll say, yeah, David wrote this Psalm. And oftentimes, in fact, a good measure of the Psalms were written by King David. But there was another worship pastor for the people of Israel and his name was Asaph. And he wrote a Psalm. And it's one of the great chapters in the book of Psalm. So what I want you to do is listen in and, and or view behind me as Asaph shares some of his doubts. And when you listen, you can hear his words, the, in his words, the agony and the angst of his life. And you can hear his brutally honest questions that he brings to God. So let's look at what Asaph has to say. In Psalm 77, he says, I cry aloud to God. There was an anguish in his, there was a, a volume, there was there was tremendous energy in this cry. I cry aloud to God. I cry aloud and he hears me. In times of trouble, I pray to the Lord. All night long, I lift my hands in prayer. I cannot find comfort. When I think of God, I sigh. And when I meditate, I feel discouraged. He keeps me awake all night long. I am so worried that I cannot speak. I think of days gone by and I remember years of long ago. I spend the night in deep thought. Will he ever again be pleased with us? I meditate and this is what I say to myself. Will the Lord continue to reject us? Will he ever again be pleased with us? Has he stopped loving us? Does his promise no longer stand? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has anger taken the place of his compassion? Let those questions just sink in for just a moment. There's a common thread that ties these questions together, and it's the thread of doubt. Will God reject us forever? Do his promises still stand? Has God forgotten how to be merciful? Wow. This is a hurting dude. 
Those are the questions that often aren't very politically correct in some of the churches that we've attended. Some churches portray a a Christianity or a kind of Christianity where Christians should not ask questions. They never struggle with doubts. But I'm glad to be a part of a church where it's okay to be real. No pretense, no facade to just show up with questions that are raw and gut level, and it's okay. God isn't threatened by those who have questions, and neither are we as a church because we all struggle with the questions. Martin Luther once said this, he said, knowledge and doubt are inseparable to men. Only God and certain madmen have no doubts. I think he's right. There are gut level questions that I want us to struggle with in the time that we have together here this morning. As I began to prepare to to talk for today, or this talk for today, there was a question that kept going through my mind when it comes to the whole issue of doubt and internal struggle. And the question is this, why didn't God make it easier for us? Why didn't he make it easier for us? Why is it that when you become a follower of Christ, why doesn't God just drop in the mail-in blueprint for the rest of our life with all the explanations and all the answers? Why doesn't he, when you face a crisis, send you an email and explain to you his purposes and connect all the dots as to why what is happening to you, why it's happening to you? His purposes, those reasons, and why he's doing what he's doing in your life, or, or at last, or at least, could he not set up like an 800 number? So that any time you wanted, you could get a hold of an angel and, and find some kind of an answer to why you're going through what you're going through. This past week, I spent a lot of time reading through different passages in the Bible on this particular topic. And here's what I've concluded to this question. The reason that God doesn't make it easier is because he knows us. He knows our nature. He knows our tendency. And God knows that when life is easy and when everything is making sense and when we're comfortable and we've got it all buttoned down, our tendency is to forget God and enter into self-sufficiency. That's exactly what he says to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6 when they're about to enter the promised land. There was a a euphoria that had entered the people of Israel as they're about to enter the promised land, and God gives them a warning. And he says, when you go into the promised land, and you live in the cities that you didn't build, and you move into the houses that you didn't build, and you drink water from the wells that you didn't dig, and you eat from the vineyards that you didn't plant, Be careful that you don't forget the Lord. God is most interested in his relationship with us. When everything comes easy and when life makes sense and there are no doubts, it is our tendency to forget God. 
And the people of Israel is the story of a people who who were distracted over and over and over and over and over again in their personal relationship with God. No one on earth had a relationship with God like the people of Israel. You would think that they would have had the most intimate of relationships with God. And yet the Bible teaches us that they forgot God. And they gave their hearts to things other than God. Notice the next statement in our notes here, and it says, it is our nature to look for reasons, it is God's nature to offer us relationships. We think the answer to our doubts is explanations. God says the answer to our doubts is me. It is God's higher value to teach you how to trust during your doubts than provide you with an explanation or with an escape hatch. But we want an explanation. Someone recently gave me a beautiful Bible as a gift for Christmas. My dog ate my 20 year study Bible. Ate it right up, and I, I love a dog that eats the word, if you understand what I mean. That's my dog. But someone gave me a beautiful new study Bible, and they put my favorite verse on there, and it was Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six, where it says, don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. We want explanations. We want to lean on our own understanding. It's how we're wired. We want to be able to connect all the dots. I'm definitely that way. I'm a dot connector. We're very much like Thomas in the New Testament when after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he appears to his disciples and Thomas wasn't there. And when he came back, they said to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas said, uh, I don't believe you. It's not enough that you tell me that you have seen the Lord. I'm not going to believe unless I can see him myself, he says. Unless I can put my hands in the nail prints in his hands and I can feel the scar in his side. So a few days later, the Bible says that Jesus appeared to Thomas. And he says to him in verse 27 of John 20, he says, stop doubting and believe, Thomas. And then he says something very interesting in verse 29. He says, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who haven't seen me and they believe anyway. Blessed are those who have even lost sight of God in the midst of their pain and yet they believe anyway. Jesus put a higher premium on faith than on visible proof. Blessed are those who haven't seen me and believe anyway. Blessed are those who don't have answers but they choose to trust anyway. Blessed are those whose minds are filled with doubts yet they choose to believe and exercise faith anyway. 
Now, I want to be sure that we really understand this because like Thomas, we all have doubts in this journey through life. Having doubts doesn't make you less spiritual. It doesn't make you less of a Christian at all. In fact, seasons of doubt can lead to some of the greatest spiritual growth in our lives. And as I began to think about this and in my own experience, I have discovered that there are at least three upsides to doubt in my life and in yours. So let me walk through them with you if I may. First off, doubts drive us to God. They drive us to God. Remember, God is all about relationships, not explanations. When all of a sudden my life is turned upside down, something doesn't make sense, or I'm facing a crisis, I am more apt to look up and to seek God's help and to seek his presence in the midst of my turmoil. I'm more apt to spend time thinking about God and talking to God. And one of the things that I love about this passage in Psalm 77 is that Asaph begins here in verse 1 with these words, I cry aloud to God. I cry aloud and he hears me. He has huge doubts. He has a soul that is shaking under the weight of questions, yet his first response is to go to God with his questions. As important as it is for you to read good Christian books, as important as it is for you to be in a small group, as important as it is for you to come here on work weekends and learn and be encouraged in God, there are just some times and some issues that have to just be between you and God. Sort of a a be still and know that he is God moment. Some things that rattle your world so much that you can only resolve them in the struggle and in a wrestling match in the very depths of your soul, the place where God is interested to meet you. There's no shortcut and there's no easy formula to get around them. Now the second upside of doubts is not only do they drive me to God, but they force me to wrestle with the difficult questions in life. When I'm walking along and everybody's good and life is easy and everything's comfortable, I tend to live sort of on this surface level. One of the things that is true about Frank and Sonia when it comes to this marriage course that they are superintending or stewarding over or leading is that they come to you not as people that have had lived on easy street as it would relate to their marriage, but they've literally had to fight for the marriage. They've struggled for the marriage. Soul-shaking journey in the marriage. And they, and they come and they serve and they share and they encourage with great understanding related to pain in the midst of a marriage relationship. So there's some soul-searching questions that every one of us has to wrestle with in various aspects of our lives. Thirdly, 
The third upside of doubt is that it can deepen your faith. When you walk in times of doubt and you come out on the other side, often your faith is deepened and your confidence in God is strengthened. I remember one of these times when I was a young man and I was headed towards a a degree and a, a career that would have led me in an entirely different direction than that of being a pastor. And I, I began to sense inside of me that maybe God was prompting me and redirecting me towards ministry. And honestly, it was a season of doubt for me. I doubted my own abilities. I I doubted whether or not I could truly be a person who represented God to a congregation. Was this really the voice of God? I doubted what I saw in other people's lives because I saw other young men and women who said, I'm headed for ministry, then somewhere along the line, their life became diverted and they no longer filled the calling that they said they had. I remember visiting with a young pastor who said something to me that I've never forgotten. He said, God will never give you any more light than your willingness to respond to the light that he's already given you. In other words, if this is what you sense in spite of your doubts, take a step of faith and see if God confirms it. Doubt plus surrender plus trust, that's what it takes to be victorious in life. And let me explain. It is often true in our experience that seasons of doubts lead us to a place of surrender. We often surrender because we have no other options. We get to a place where we say, God, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense to me. I have my doubts. It's not in my control, but I yield to your will. It is in those times of surrender that now you begin to really learn to trust God and trust that even when you don't understand, he is a good God and worthy of your trust. When you walk through that sequence, doubt to surrender to trust, it equals freedom. Because now you have the freedom to not have to be in control, to control all the circumstances that are around you. You can be morose and even broken when the circumstances around you don't line up in accordance with how you need them to line up. But there is this point of surrender where you begin to trust God related to what's unfolding in your life and you don't know what's on the other side of it, but you begin to be free in your faith And you begin to say, God, I don't know what's going on. Don't know how it's all going to end up in a good place, but I trust you related to that. So doubt can drive me to God. It forces me to wrestle with my difficult questions and it can deepen my trust and my relationship and my faith in God. But I want us to just go back to chapter 77 in Psalms, and I want us to look at some practical steps that Asaph gives us when it comes to dealing with our doubts. And the first thing he does is he reminds us to remember God's track record. This is, this is about gaining perspective in the midst of your pain. This is about stepping back and looking at the big picture. In Psalm 77, I recall, all you have done, he says, I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts and I cannot stop thinking about them. Note four words, recall, remember, thoughts and thinking, all aspects of the mind. 
Because here's the principle I want you to get. Memory is a friend to faith. I can give personal testimony to this because I've walked with the Lord now for more than 50 years since I became a Christian. God has an amazing track record in my life when it comes to faithfulness. Even when I didn't understand or or even when I had doubts, he has a track record of being supremely and ultimately faithful in my life. I was looking into some flights this week to Thailand. My son and his wife and my grandkids have invited me to join them on a vacation this year in Thailand, and I was looking at what it would take to get to that destination. Several flights, several really long flights. I was just mulling this over, and it was all happening the same time I was preparing this message. And I started thinking about the fact that the journey to Thailand is actually an illustration related to the journey of life. Think about this for a moment. Here I would be 31,000 feet in the air on my way to Thailand, flying 600 miles an hour. There would be about 400 of us packed into this oversized Coke can, hurtling through the air. And I'm imagining looking out the window and I can't see anything because we're actually flying in the clouds. And I look around the plane and nobody seems to be nervous. Nobody seems upset. Nobody seems panicky. Why? Because we're trusting the track record of the airline that we bought the ticket from. We, we trusted that somehow someone knew what they were doing and was competent when they built the plane. And that someone else inspected it to make sure that that person truly did know what they were doing in building the plane. And we trusted that there were actually pilots in the cockpit, although we've never actually seen them. We trusted that the instruments that they were using were reliable, and we trusted that they'd been to this destination before that they had lots of experience doing this and that their experience would lead us ultimately to our destination. And I started thinking, that's the same thing with God's track record. So in this journey of life, if you sit in your seat and you don't, you don't have to be nervous. You don't have to be anxious because God has an incredible track record. In this passage, Asaph says this, when I think about your wondrous deeds, I constantly think about them, he says. Some translations say, I meditate on your wonderful works, I ponder them because they are true. And these stories in the Bible are historically verifiable. If God is able to take two million people out of bondage, to Pharaoh in Egypt and deliver them through the Red Sea. God is able to take whatever is in front of us and create a path and get us through to the other side. If God is able to take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
and deliver them from the fiery furnace completely unharmed. And if God is able to shut the mouths of the lions so they don't eat the prophet Daniel, and if God is able to take his own son and raise him from the dead, maybe that's a track record that shows us that he will take care of us as well. In Psalm 52 verse 9, it says, I will praise you forever for what you have done. In your name, I will hope for your name is good. I will praise you in the presence of your saints. Here is King David, and he's thinking back over God's track record, and you know what he does? It leads him to worship. It leads him to praise. So let me give you a, another practical suggestion, if I may. If you're going through struggling and you're, you're going through a difficult time of doubt, I would encourage you to fill your mind with great truths about God and his activities so that you will have it ingrained in your heart related to the track record of God. And one of the ways to do that is by listening to worship music. Good worship music represents the word of God in song form, in melodic form. This is what good worship music does. Someone this week sent me a beautiful worship song about trusting God in the midst of life's struggles. A beautiful, beautiful song that inspired me, gave me goosebumps, brought a tear this is what good songs do. Good worship brings you to a knowing deep within your soul that God is in control. We can trust in the character and the power of God. Look at Psalm 77. The psalmist says, oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of miracles and wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. In Isaiah 40, it says, to whom will you compare me? This is God speaking. Who is my equal? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of this? He who brings the starry hosts one by one and calls each of them by name. Because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. The heavens tell the story of the glory of God. The skies display his remarkable craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak to it. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is silent in the skies, yet their message has gone out to the earth and their words are to all the world. Asaph says it not only helps me in dealing with my doubts to realize God's power, but to realize his character. And he says this in, in Psalm 77, he says, God's ways are holy. They are righteous. In other words, God's character can be trusted. And in Psalm 34, he says, taste and see that the Lord is 
good. And that's a character statement. Not taste and see that he is savory. Taste and see that he is good. In other words, he is pure. He is holy. He is perfect in his character. All oh, the joys of those who trust in him. I've been in a few situations in my 50 years of knowing Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've been in some really, really tough moments, like career-wise, where I just wondered, how did I get there? And I thought I was hearing from God, and then it was nothing but misery, so was I really hearing from God? And how do I translate misery in this life I thought Jesus said I was going to have life and have it to the full. And, and, and I've had these moments where I, it's huge questions, even doubts, and a lot of moping, feeling sorry for myself. And then eventually I, I get past the feeling sorry for myself and I take some responsibility for where I'm at, but, but also I begin to, to trust God that that he is good. And even if I did not hear him correctly, which is possible, it may just be that I did hear him properly and he led me to this moment of misery on purpose. And by the way, misery is an attitude. Now there might be some facts in the middle of a situation that are certainly not palatable, not helpful, there's things like dishonesty from other human beings. There's things like, I don't know, gossip, rumor mongering. There's, there's all kinds of things that we humans do in creating an unstable environment in the life of someone else. And, but in the midst of all of that, one has to ask, okay, God, what are you teaching me? This is not a fun moment in my life, but... How can I grow closer to you? How can you become ever so much more real in my life? There have been times in my life on a personal level where, where life, familiar, like in my family situation, just wasn't working out the way in which I would have hoped or dreamed. And I'm a dreamer. I'm an idealist. I've read all the books. Figured if I do this, this, and this, then it all unfolds beautifully before me. I have the blessing of God on my life. It hasn't worked out that way in so many cases. Life has been hard and painful. And I've been taught to not lean on my own understanding or my own studies or my own formulas or my own three-point sermons, but to trust God and believe that he had something for me in the midst of my pain. God never wastes your pain. He always fulfills a purpose in it. I believe this to my core. So Father, for everyone who's here this morning and as we bring 2023 to a close, it's been what it's been. May even still be what it is. But we go into 2024 with a choice to make related to our trust and our belief in you. 
you have proven yourself over and over and over again. You were so gracious to Thomas and coming up to him and extending your hands that were pierced and showing him your side and calling him to believe. You are so gracious to him and you are ever so gracious to us. You give us your holy word. You give us people who come into our lives and encourage us. You give people who, who send us a song to listen to right at the right moment. You give us a church that espouses faith and trust in a God who's in complete control. You give us life groups to live in and through. You give us spouses to encourage us. You give us so many things, and Father, we're so grateful on so many levels. As we head into communion, I just pray that there would be this deep sense that as we eat the bread and drink from the cup, that you would bear out tremendous faith in our hearts, even in this moment. That there would be a thankfulness that would be aroused within us, that there would be a new and fresh realization that Jesus, your death on the cross was a miserable experience. And yet God fulfilled his purpose and his will through you. And we are blessed because of it. You said on that cross, actually before you even met the cross, you said, if this cup could pass before me, please God, let it be. And then Jesus said, nevertheless, God, thy will be done. He surrendered. He surrendered. Help us towards the, just the peace and the beauty of surrender, I pray, as we take this communion together. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to take the, the cup that you have in your possession, please. If you don't have one, just raise your hand and our ushers would be happy to rush over to you and give you one. The Apostle Paul, he wrote this, he said, for I have received from the Lord what I'm now also passing on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The little wafer represents Jesus' willingness to surrender his very life's breath. To take upon himself the crown of thorns, the stripes that came from the whip, the nails that pierced his hand, and the spear that pierced his side. His body bled out, and he died.
This represents his sacrifice for you and for me. And it's through his death that he bore the sins of all humanity. He bore the unrighteousness and the foolishness and all that's broken in our humanity. He bore it upon his body there that day. And he died. We'll get to the good news in just a moment. But would you take this little wafer and would you thank Jesus for dying for you? And then you go ahead and eat. Would you please? This little cup of juice represents the blood that flowed from Calvary. blood is representative of the life, not the death, but the life of Jesus. The Bible tells us that God redeemed the situation, the terror, and the tragedy of the crucifixion. And he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. This blood represents the righteousness of Jesus Christ in exchange for our unrighteousness. And spiritually, what happens now through the power of the Holy Spirit, the life of Jesus is made manifest in our bodies. It courses through our veins. It's a new spiritual rebirth and reality. The Bible says that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now resides within you and I. We have that resurrection power, that ability to choose right, the ability to hear from God, the ability to connect with God, the ability to honor God, the ability to love, the ability to have joy in dire circumstances. We have this ability now because of the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you give him thanks for that? And then go ahead and drink up in his honor. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we get the pleasure of singing a song about the goodness of God now. We get to leave 2023 and enter into 2024 singing about the goodness of God. I want you to stand with me, Darius. You know, they're going to lead us in worship. God bless you as you continue to hear from God through song, as you express your love to him through worship.